So I looked up what it's like to have a stroke for this. Super morbid. And I haven't got a good night's sleep since. Strokes are terrifying. Horrifying stuff. If anyone's ever made fun of those commercials about the warning signs of a stroke and how to recognize it and how important it is to call 911, yeah. go ahead and look up what it's like to have a stroke. There is a, uh, a TED Talk with a lady who's a doctor who had a stroke. And she talks about the experience of having a stroke, including calling her friend to say, I think I'm having a stroke, but couldn't say the words. Mm -mm. It is 15 minutes of, unless you're a sociopath, you just empathize with her and you're like, oh my God, this is so fucking scary. Strokes definitely suck. Nothing is good about strokes. No. Why would you name your shitty three chord pop rock band something so bad? It is strange. There's also the penis connotation. I thought we were going to lead with that. What are you trying to say? The, how many licks does it take to, what, take what are you trying to say? No, but what are you trying to say, though? <laughs> you just went in a different direction. But what are you trying to say, though? You thought I we were trying to say how many strokes does it take to, you know, this is, a, I'm trying to stay PG, dude. This young kids listen to this show. No, they, they shouldn't. I hope not, actually. Because we're marked as explicit. Our RSS feed is marked as an explicit content show. Do you remember those t-shirts that said, I heart NY for New York. Do you remember those t-shirts? Oh yeah, you could still buy them. Okay, the strokes are that t-shirt in the form of a band. Uh -huh. The reason why those t-shirts blew up is yeah. the reason why the strokes blew up. And you have to remember this. This is also why I think it's really important to get the perspective of people who were alive at the time that something happened. I was able to see it happen live real time. We can thank 9-11 for this band. I feel very comfortable going on record with that statement. There's no fucking way the strokes happen without 9-11. Do you remember? I remember 9-11. Do you? Yeah, I remember that. I'm trying to remember. I was uh, probably knee deep in a Limp Bizkit record at the time. Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I do, I mean, I remember the record coming out, but I don't remember specifically how not, I, I just, I remember there was a bunch of records that were supposed to come out on that day and like it destroyed the record sales. Right. And so what I'm saying is those t-shirts got real popular because 9-11 happened. Oh God, yes. Sold a lot of t-shirts. Well, the whole world joined Team New York City. Yes. In this country, everyone was way nicer to each 100%. other on a whole weird level that I have not experienced since. And everyone loved New York. Exactly. Even if you'd never been to New York, I love New York shirt. Everyone was rooting for the city. A bunch of bands from New York City got signed. Popped off. Blew the fuck up. Sure. This is Interpol. This, this is, is the yeah, yeah, yeah. Interpol's a great example. I mean, the singers from Australia, but Liars were a New York City band yeah. when they got I mean, it's insane that anyone even heard of the band Liars. I don't know if you've heard one of their albums or not, but Spin Magazine gave, I think, their second album an F review. Unlistenable. <laughs> How does that that band gets signed. A lot of people paying attention to the city and a lot of people profiting off that attention. It's this hype thing that put us all on Team New York City. Also combined with this was the fact that the Strokes are what I would call one of the major bands of the the band resurgence. Yes. I forgot about that. That was the time when it was the everything. The White Stripes, the Hives, the Vines. All the <laughs> There was like even a whole second wave of these the the bands. Yes, the yes. Killers, the Dotsons, the whatever the fuck, I don't know. I always liked the name the the. At least it's just embracing it. Or the the the. Are you having a stroke? No. That shit's not funny, man. Don't joke about strokes. We should see if we could get uh, aspirin company or something like that to give us money for this episode. I wish we had more time to talk about this garage rock thing. Dude, I could we do a whole entire episode about how I hate garage rock. We will probably have to start doing episodes like that. The garage revival sucks or something just so we can hit a whole thing. Yes. 
anytime a band records something and specifically makes it sound worse, yeah, it pisses me off. So I hate it a hundred percent of the time. It's great and hilarious. They paved that way for like that resurgence of oh, we recorded this on tape. I don't give a fuck. It doesn't make any sense. It's expensive, and you have to. Why would you do that? It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. It's like photography. People are like, I shoot on film. I don't care, dude. I shoot on my iPhone. Fuck you. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll probably have to start doing episodes on a little scene like that. Garage Rock sucks because we can't pack all of that into any single band that we would be doing an episode on. C Addendum A, which would be just an entire 50 minutes of us talking about Garage Rock being dumb. For instance, we have way too much to say about the Strokes today to really be even talking this much about Garage Rock. <laughs> One thing about that whole garage rock thing, because this is the narrative we're about to have to get into as applied to the strokes, is it's interesting that all of these bands, all of them that were supposed to save rock music ended up being the bands that killed rock music. Mm -hmm. These were the last ones. These guys shoved it out the door. I mean, who do we have left from that whole movement? The Strokes aren't doing shit that anyone cares about. Neither are any of their solo projects. White Stripes broke up. Hives are gone. All these bands are gone. Jack White's last album. Jack White's last album. It was really good. Yeah, what you know about Jack White's last album? It was good. It was. was... Mark, go ahead and blink twice. Are you under duress? No. It's bad. I don't like any of that. All those bands sucked. What's fucked up is all of those bands got signed on the back of the Strokes, basically. Not the White Stripes. We're talking about the New York City bands again Uh now. All those New York City bands got signed on the back of the Strokes. Absolutely. And we're about to get all the way into this. The Strokes were never anything but hype. There was never any substance there. Mm -hmm. When that's what launches the thing, everything that comes after that is going to be dog shit. And that's exactly what happened. Music was so fucking terrible at this time because the next thing that happened after after this was that Franz Ferdinand bullshit. They came along and took the Strokes thing and added Gang of Four to it, and then we had 500 bands doing that shit. Block Party, whoever, tapes and tapes, and that's how the Arctic Monkeys got started. All this terrible bullshit. Because of the situation around the band launching their career. Lowered the bar so far, so fast. Yes. Obliterated the line for decent music. It's never been more obvious that the music being good had nothing to do with this band being in front of our faces. Just generic. There was a hype machine behind this band shoving them at us before they even had music that most people could hear. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Even in the city that they're from, the whole narrative was this is the biggest band in New York City. Almost nobody in New York City had heard this band yet. They had to break this shit overseas because you can't sell that shit to the people who live in the city you're trying to lie about. (laughs) Biggest band in New York City. Everyone in New York City. Never even heard of the band. What band? Albert Hammond Jr. went to the high school that Brett Easton Ellis was writing about in Less Than Zero. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about privilege? These dudes met at a boarding school for rich kids in Switzerland that cost like $150,000 a year, making it literally the most expensive school in the world. He didn't learn how to write music there, that's for sure. So for the rest of this episode, I'm going to try to remember to call Julian Casablanca's Jules because that seems like some boarding school nickname bullshit that he'd like. Jules. Like this little vape pen thing. Jewel, got your jewels. I'm pretty sure skinny jeans are Jules' fault. Oh, God, the whole thing. I remember it, the whole... So if you've ever been in New York City, there's Williamsburg. In that time frame was when the uh, gentrification of all those really cool areas of New York City started to really explode. And Williamsburg... 
Williamsburg became like this epicenter for hipsterdom, ripped up jeans, but the jeans actually cost like a thousand dollars. All the kids from the nice part of town moved to the not nice part of town. Look how broke I am, even though they're super rich. Sweet Carhartt, bro. Yeah. Go buy a jean jacket, drop it on the ground immediately when you walk out the door, step on it, and then put it on and be like, I've been wearing this, wearing this jacket for like six years, dude. This is why every bar you go to in the trendy part of town in any city in America now has PBR. It's also why when you go to the city and you want to buy like a vintage Guns N' Roses shirt, it costs like a thousand dollars because of people like this. They made it popular to like throw back old vintage ripped up shit, but it's not real. They didn't listen to it. They just bought the shirt for a thousand dollars. Right. So annoying. But when they bought it, it was probably like 50 bucks, <laughs> which is, that's even more annoying. They can afford the thousand dollar shit and they start buying the $75 yeah. shit and fucking it up for all the rest of us. It ruined it for everybody else. <laughs> Actual fans of anything, it ruined it completely. The Strokes influence on fashion became such a thing that Moby, remember Moby, by the of way, course. Moby, who was also a thing, started a drinking game called Spot the Stroke. You <laughs> see some guy, you literally can't tell if he's in the band The Strokes or not, might as well take a drink. If you were in Williamsburg and played that game, I was wasted. You would probably, you would die from all the alcohol you didn't ingest. We always get people who say to separate the band's music from their image. It's not possible. Impossible. With this. It's the whole launching of the band. You can't separate it. The image broke the band. The exactly. image broke before the music did. Right. There's no fucking, th this happened to such a great degree that if you look up early interviews with this band, they're actually pissed off that everyone keeps wanting to talk about them without having heard their album. Album. Mm -hmm. People are coming up to them and saying that they hate them without having heard the album. You can find interviews where Jules is like, yeah, I'd probably hate me too. <laughs> if everyone was saying I was the greatest shit ever and I hadn't even heard what I've done, I'd probably hate it too. There you go. Thank you for proving our point. Even the band knows this. I can't, but also fuck him for complaining about it because how many fashion spreads did Homeboy do before the album came out? Yeah, exactly. How many centerfolds was this band in? Oh, I hate it so much, but if you're going to write me a check, I'll do it. These guys are working but models. I, but I hate it. Every member of this band is a working model. Every one of them has been paid for yeah. a photo shoot. Eh, eh. By the way, Jules' dad founded a hugely successful modeling agency in New York City. They're like the Zoolander band. You want to hear something crazy? If you ask around, if you ask local bands who were playing New York City at the time, ask them, they'll tell you that they had venues who had booked shows with them coming to them and saying, hey, there's this band, The Strokes, they want to get on the bill as an opener. You should do it because the room is always full of models when they play. <laughs> Month later, there you go. guess who's opening up for who? How do you build your, it's a guar. Building your band off an image and then being like, I hate our image. Well, then don't fucking build your entire band off the image then. This is a known thing. Go ask A&R people. Ask them what they're looking for at a rock show. You looking for how many girls. dudes are in the audience? No, you're <laughs> counting the number of girls. That's it. A hundred percent. Where girls go, guys go. It's pretty simple. Now we got to get into the, these guys walked, talked, dressed, and tried to play and mimic in every other way as much as possible. These specific, quote, coolest bands of all time, end quote, New York City is always getting credit for. Music writers are always talking about the greatest bands of all time from New York City. They're talking about Velvet Underground, Velvet Underground television, the whole CBGB scene, post-punk, talking heads, all this shit. All you gotta do is become the thing that these people are telling you is their favorite shit that ever happened. Walk, talk, and act just like it. Mm -hmm. What's next? Yeah. Music critics freaked the fuck out over this band, and I'll tell you something else. I, I can't remember what article 
article it was from what magazine, a real in-depth early profile on the strokes, and the writer says, I'll be honest, we knew we were gonna run this story and knew it was gonna be a cover story before we heard one note of this band's music. We saw their promo photo and we knew that we were gonna put them on the cover. That's a fact. It is because, as we know, most of these people are complete chuds. They're chuds. Chode? Chodes, you can call them chodes too. Point is, I'm convinced that at the time they're writing about nothing but music they don't like. Music writers. Yeah, new metal's taking over the world. Yeah. Rock and roll is basically Nickelback, Limp Bizkit, and Korn, and they hate that shit, and they don't want to write about Britney Spears in, in sync anymore. Somebody sets down this picture of a band, not even the music, just the picture of the band, and they go, oh God, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna suck this band right it off. Also feels good to feel like you're a part of something. It probably feels good to feel like you were part of a band becoming famous. Everyone wants to claim this is just true all the time in the music business, anyways. Everyone thinks to themselves, well, without me, that band wouldn't be where they are. Everyone wants to take credit for it all the time. Every music critic that wrote good things about the strokes when the strokes became huge, in their brain, their tiny little pea brain, they're like, Well, I had something yeah. to do with that because I wrote about how great it was. Nobody fucking cares, dude. 10 people read your blog, shut up. That's got a lot to do with it. So we have new t-shirts, but I just realized, can we say, how how specifically can we describe the designs of our new shirts? Uh, we have shirts that roundaboutly might kind of make you think of a certain 90s grunge rock band uh, and or another famous rock band from the across the pond. It rhymes with the bowling bones. <laughs> the bowling bones. Yeah. Shmervana. <laughs> Shmervana. Come on down to yfbspod.com. Merch store. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a flag. Buy a pin. Buy a sticker. All right, we got to start trying to talk about the music. There's not a lot to talk about. I don't want to. I know. We should just skip the music. Before we do, I do want to acknowledge, I think that Jules might have a sense of humor because he liked to say to reporters that the Strokes had never heard the band television before. Stupid. That's not possible. No. And it should have been disqualifying if it was true. They should have said, is that true? And if he said, yeah, it's really true, be like, okay, well, this interview's over. Like, fuck you, dude. Side note, I've heard a lot of conversations of music nerds who say they don't hear television in the Strokes music. And these are usually people who think what's good about television is the long guitar solos, which they're not right about. <laughs> what's good about television is the rhythms and the guitar tone and the angular guitar parts. Yeah, people like that. Sure. If you pay attention to the drums and bass and not the lead guitar in television and not the vocals in television, I think you should hear where this sound is coming from. In addition to obviously other bands like the fucking Cars are a huge influence sure. on the stroke. They do it. 1% as well. Oh, real fast. Do you think that you could name every member of this band? I definitely can't. All right. I want to try to do it from memory. There's Julian Casablancas, uh -huh. Fabrizio Moretti. Okay. Nick Valenci. Okay. Albert Hammond Jr. There's one more. Oh, this is going to give me a fucking problem. It's the bass player that I can't remember. And he's the one who's tall and looks like he might be from another country, but he's probably not. Nobody even cares about the bass player anyways. He's the one who doesn't talk. He did all but one. Come on, dude. You're four out of five. Fuck it. Just tell me his I name. I don't know. Well, I thought you were looking at Fuck it. no. Well, what are you doing on your phone? I didn't taking the time. I'm looking at my Shit. notes. I didn't put their names in my... Dude, all, their names are like the most pretentious names humanly possible. <laughs> it just sounds so dickish. Their names do make them hateable. Absolutely. Their names are annoying. Before they even say anything like, oh, my name is Julian Casablancas. I'm like, oh, fuck you, dude. Is that like really your name or is that your stage name. Are you a Bond villain? What the fuck? Right. 
Nick Valenci also likes to say that he had never heard the song The Stroke by Billy Squire before he was in this band, which, dude, get the fuck out of here. Maybe they legitimately were listening to like Backstreet Boys growing mm-hmm. up. Maybe that's my point is maybe that's what they were listening to. And so maybe they didn't actually hear these bands. Well, it's also possible that none of these guys even cared about music because Jules essentially did everything on the first two albums. I don't know how many people even really know that Julian Casablancas did straight front to back, write The first two albums. It shows. Everyone says the other guys had some input here and there, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure they might've come up with some shit, but look at who gets the credit. It's not complicated music. So what would their input be? It's pretty straightforward. I'm saying like he even wrote the guitar solos. Okay. You play this guitar solo that I wrote for you to play. That's like some Steely Dan shit, but let's make it sound bad. It's like Foo Fighters or something. Kind of. I wrote everything. So we were talking about the press hype, all right? NME, New Music Express or whatever the fuck it stands for, Mm -hmm. called Is This It, the fourth best album ever. (laughs) One, two, three. The strokes. Y'all can argue about whatever you think the top three are. I don't care. But number four, according to NME, is Is This It by The Strokes. It's the fourth greatest album of all time. If you want to see some gold medal dick sucking, go back (laughs) and read. How much did they get paid? I don't know. Dude, if there's no money exchange there, I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm not allowed to (laughs) speculate. I'm speculating here. I I would like to. uh, Have you ever heard the expression beat around the bush, Mark? (laughs) I'm not going to say maybe a lot of advertising money was spent yeah. something i don't know i'm basically just gonna try to see if i can light this bush on fire without striking a match <laughs> friction baby give me friction uh yeah go back and read everything nme has ever written about the strokes these dorks stroking them off they were calling them the band that would save rock music before their first album was out by the way this band was fucked as soon as that happened i don't know if anyone knows how this hype shit works but yeah everyone who thought this was a good idea look at the rest of this band's career we're yeah. gonna get into it. No room to breathe. No room for people to really listen to it for any amount of time, but it's the greatest album of all time. Because they had such a hard-on to be like, we want traditional rock and roll back so badly. We just want simple, generic rock and roll music so bad we're gonna say they're the greatest band, even though all we saw was a modeling picture. Make American rock great again. Fucking hey. The official story is The Strokes sent their demo overseas to the label Rough Trade, who then got NME involved in releasing The Strokes' first single, Last Night. Right away, that's strange as fuck to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, have you ever wondered why every band is always trying to get a blog to premiere their song or their new music video right now? This is it. Yeah. Because that's how the strokes happen. Everyone's trying to replicate this and they can't fucking do it. Is this it? This is it. Yeah. Everyone who asked the question, <laughs> is this it? This is actually it. This is it. This is it. Finally going to give it to you. <laughs> If you look around, you'll find out how many labels in America had already passed on this band's demo. They were like, eh, no. Which, that seems pretty strange to me because the first thing NME started saying about this band is that they were setting New York City on fire. Everyone in the city is going crazy over them. If that's true, every A&R guy in New York City, which is a lot of fucking A&R guys in New York City, should lose their job because they missed this. They didn't see the biggest band on the scene in New York City. In fact, they turned them down. When given the opportunity to check them out directly by the band sending them their demo, they were like, no, we don't like it. Do you think there's any chance if we were sitting here talking about a boy band, we'd be like, of course, they just sent some headshots in and 
they got signed. Everyone thought they were great. Because they're a rock band, everyone's like, oh no, it's not. It's real, it's real. Take guitars out of their hands. We're talking about the Backstreet Boys. 100%. This is just the Backstreet Boys for everyone who thinks they're too tough or cool or yeah. dangerous or whatever the fuck for to listen to the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Dudes in the band were arsonists, literally lighting New York City on fire, physically starting fires. Someone did work very hard to give these guys the reputation of being bad boys. I mean, probably, I would say two out of five strokes have a Zippo on them. They're genius. Jeans were ripped, bro. Their jeans were ripped. Their shirts were ripped. In a factory by small children. <laughs> yes. If it was a boy band, everyone in America would make fun of it. The Backstreet Boys would go spend $1,500 on a wardrobe and people would be like, oh man, yeah, look at they spent all that money. The Strokes would do the same thing and people would think it was cool. It is interesting. Something I mentioned a second ago made me think, uh, I don't think anyone involved in this band was able to replicate this success. This producer never broke another band. Their manager never broke another band. It was a one-shot deal. The band definitely wasn't able to replicate the success of the first album. Definitely not. It really went off a cliff. It was a perfect storm. The right place, perfect the right timing. time. It really yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. That is, if you looked at all of the elements that had to come into play to set this hype machine in motion for The Strokes to become a famous band, followed each one of those threads all the way out into a story. Like you could write a whole book on that, but you won't because you're fucking lazy. <laughs> so everyone I know, finally, when we heard The Strokes, the first song that we heard was the song Last Night. Yeah. This was the first song that we heard because unlike apparently 57 million people, we didn't see The Strokes play one of their New York City shows that they played before mm -hmm. they got signed. Mm -hmm. I've probably had 500 people tell me throughout my lifetime that they were at one of the shows the Strokes played in New York City before really? they blew up. Yeah, I thought it was cool before you heard about it, shit. Oh man, there's no way that 10% of the people who say they were at one of these early Stroke shows were, actually, were there. actually at one. But it sounds good. These guys are lucky Tom Petty's chill as fuck. They would have been in deep shit over this song. This is one of those things that someone who has to let everyone know they're a music person will tell you, like, you don't realize it. The Strokes ripped off Tom Petty. Strokes ripped off everyone playing simple rock music. The Strokes are ripped off a ton of fucking people. This band is essentially five people doing what one person with a looper pedal could do. Yeah, you don't need five people. This band also sounds like everyone in the band wants to be a drummer. They all play their instrument like they're hammering on it. Like they think they're supposed to do what the drummer does. I think it's because they don't know how to play. Legitimately, I think they were models and somebody put a guitar in their hands and said, learn how to play this. They were rehearsing their first batch of songs for like two fucking years before they ever even played a show. They had two years to play it. It doesn't matter what you come up with. If you practice something that much, then execute it in front of people, they're gonna look at it and be like, those guys have clearly spent a lot of time yeah. on this. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's true, but who fucking cares? Two years? I could, give me a song to play, I could play it two fucking years. If you gave a guitar to a 12 year old write me a song and they would just go ding 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 yeah, ding she was an american yeah. girl but then if that kid went and practiced just that one oh, thing for two years great solid at that one sure. thing got that one you thing get, down <laughs> you get that one riff perfect but it's all gonna end up sounding stiff as fuck even when it's trying to sound sloppy and it is trying to sound sloppy and it's gonna sound super slick even when it's trying to sound dirty and it is trying to sound dirty mm -hmm. honestly you could apply everything we said about Daft Punk to this band too. If you take away Daft Punk's computers, they're gonna sound a lot more like The Strokes than most people would probably assume. Like what if video games thought they could make rock music? <laughs> it would be The Strokes. That's The Strokes. After I heard about this band, I pressed play on this album and this is what I got. They've nailed the title. Is this it? I'm not sure if it's it, but it's enough. 
and we're done. Um, I don't need to listen anymore. The whole album sounds like three different songs taken apart and put back together in as many ways as they could think of. One of those songs is 5,000% Waiting for the Man by Velvet Underground. Well, how many variations of three chords can you do? It's funny, is that then you read all these articles of like, why do people say the strokes suck? Because anybody that ever listened to the Velvet Underground hears that and goes, oh, fuck this band. But also, if there's a band that you shouldn't rip off, it's the Velvet Underground, oh, right? You absolutely should not. That's why I'm surprised that anyone in New York would support the band. This is one of the things that people say about the Velvet Underground. Yeah, not as many people heard the Velvet Underground as heard the Beatles, but everyone who heard the Velvet Underground started a band. And that happened back then in the 60s and 70s. So you probably shouldn't go rip off the source material for like 25, 50 amazing bands that everyone loves. Sure. What are you thinking about? <laughs> not, not a good look. It would be like if you read the Cliff Notes for a book and then went back and tried to rewrite the original. Hey guys, I got this one. Decades of legendary musicians ripping off Velvet Underground. David Bowie ripping off Velvet Underground. Sure. You're gonna come along. Hmm. Well, nobody's done this since the Cars and the Talking Heads first album happened, <laughs> so fuck it. We might as well swing. Go for it. I don't think that's enough of an excuse to go back and rehash this shit. There was one point where I was listening to one of the albums for this, I had to leave the room to take a piss. I thought about pausing it in case I missed something that I would need to talk about. But then I realized I had heard 10 seconds of the song and there was no danger of anything happening in the song that was going to be a surprise. Yeah, sure. If you've heard 30 seconds of a Stroke song, you've heard that song. And if you've heard a Stroke song, you've heard the whole album it's from. That's what I mean. Like, how could you, why would you be stoked about seeing them? If they played for an hour, what the fuck are you doing for an hour watching this band? Bored out of your mind. I bet these guys fucked up and got their own songs confused for other songs so much on tour because of how similar they sound. I bet they started into one oh, song. Shit, oh, song. fuck, I'm on the wrong one. <laughs> My bad, I get confused. I thought we were doing the other one where I play this note. Even if you like one of these guitar riffs or like the way one of these drum parts is happening or something, it just stays that way for the entirety of the song and probably half the next one too. The only thing that's changing is the words, so we should probably start talking about the lyrics. Here's a chorus of a Stroke song. Are you ready? This uh -huh. is gonna be difficult. I gotta count on my fingers. I said just take it or leave it and take it or leave it and take it or leave it and take it or leave it. Oh, just take it or leave it and take it or leave it. Oh, take it. I'm not gonna lie, that sounds like my two-year-old. Is he okay? Do you want this cookie? And he goes, no, yes. No, yes, because he's like really upset about something. This is what he sounds like, this repetitive. He'll say the same thing 30 times in a row and you're like, what are, you, are you okay? She told me no, she told me no, she told me no, she saying. told me no. Okay, okay, we get it, she told you fucking no. Is this the Doors? Are we listening to the Doors <laughs> exactly. right now? What the fuck's going on here? Is Jim Morrison <laughs> back from the grave? Singing for the cars? What's going on? <laughs> Their third album has a song called Ask Me Anything, which side note, this band has way too many song titles that are just internet generation slang. I was gonna they, say, They've yeah, got yeah. You Only Live Once is another. YOLO. Yep. But uh, Ask Me Anything is a Reddit phrase. The chorus is, I've got nothing to say, repeated seven times, then the line, I'm in utter dismay, then I've got nothing to say, one more time. So if you just take a five-word phrase, repeat it over and over again, you just wrote the chorus of a Stroke song for real. I, when we do these episodes, sometimes I think to myself how fun it would be if we could actually make a song that sounded like this band. I just don't have time right I don't now. Either. We do it on accident on a solid five to 10% of our episodes, I'm sure. sure. We just fucking improv a song <laughs> that is at least as good as the band we're talking about. Sure. Bands like this would be painfully easy to write the song and I don't even play guitar. If it's your job to write songs and you write one with the line, I've got nothing to say in it, 
I don't think it should be your job to write songs anymore. I've got nothing to say. Well, then why are you writing a song? I think that people think this is an interesting play on the concept of what they're doing, but it's not. Look at how many times the idea I have nothing to say has been expressed in a song. I would be willing to bet if you went back and asked the person why they wrote that, it was some version of writer's block. Writer's block isn't real. If you say you experience it, you are a bad writer. Uh, that's fucked up. Sorry, all the writers out there. Uh, Tyler's email is info at that's fucked up. What you're doing, what you're doing right now, is fucked up. It's definitely weird to me to write a song where you're trying to say something, even if it's just repetitive, and put the words "I have nothing to say" in the song. It's kind of funny. It's. Not, it's like a weird self-reflection in your own song. But why are you wasting my... Throw that in the trash. Sure, fine. Write that down. You right. know, I don't know what you have to do right. privately in your home to make shit happen, you know. But definitely throw that one in the fucking trash Just can. Th you don't have to torture us with it at all. Have I mentioned that Jules decided he wanted to start making music after hearing the song Yellow Leadbetter by Pearl Jam? No, I didn't know that. Talk about choosing the wrong influence. What a weird thing. <laughs> Yellow Leadbetter is my influence, but I'm going to make music that is 1% as complicated. If you want to talk about a band that never wrote a single good song, we could start talking about Pearl Jam right sure, now. Sure. Probably shouldn't, though. But considerably more dynamic than anything ever wrote by the Strokes, though. Yeah, if this is the band that the Strokes are looking to, I'm not surprised that Jules doesn't know how to write a good song. Yeah, no shit. It's funny. I did not know that. Their second Oh, real fast. In a book called Meet Me in the Bathroom by Lizzie Goodman. I believe she conducted these interviews. Basically, everyone interviewed in the book, including at least one member of The Strokes who was interviewed for the book, agrees that Jack White is a better rock star than Jules and the White Stripes are a better band than The Strokes. Uh, everyone. It's basically universal. The wrong one. It, we did the wrong one. That's funny. Give Jack White a looper pedal. He can do, he can this. do the whole thing. <laughs> he can write every record they ever did in a weekend. Second album. I would like to say real quick. Every episode we do, I try to get some people's opinions. You know, random people, depending on where I am during the day, like, oh, what is your opinion on The Strokes? It seemed that a lot of people really enjoyed the first record, to which I always just rolled my eyes. Almost universally, everyone hated everything after that, off a cliff, everything. Immediately, people were like, yeah, I love the first record, everything else after that was horrible. That's really weird, because if you go back now and listen to these two albums, I think they will sound virtually identical to you, because they want, the band wanted to start working with Nigel Godrich, Radiohead's producer. Then they didn't. They went back and used the same producer from the first album. I don't know if I even mentioned it, but after this band got signed and the Strokes went back and started working with the producer who made their demo to make the first album, can't remember his name, but who gives a shit? It never did anything <laughs> else that mattered. The label sent someone over to listen, an A&R guy over to listen to what they were recording, and they hated it. The label thought it sounded terrible. They said, why are you trying to make yourself sound bad on purpose? This sounds unprofessional. Right. You're ruining your music. You're ruining your career. This is terrible. They ended up being wrong about the hype not being strong enough to cover for the fact that there was no music. They should have realized they're going to put out any fucking thing that this band 100%. recorded, and the first one would have sold like crazy. And then everyone would have heard the second one for what it was, even if it sounded exactly like the first one. So they went back to the first guy, and it sounds like it. This album is Is This It Part 2. We're still not sure if this is it. <laughs> the continuation. We're still not sure if this is it, but now the guitars sound more like video games, and we gave the bass player a Red Bull. He really missed an opportunity <laughs> to name the album. Not sure. I would say that there's always a lot of filler on Strokes albums, but I have a hard time understanding the difference between what I would call the filler and what they call the singles. It all sounds the same to me. This is Maybe the Strokes are filler for the radio. Dude. How albums need filler? Maybe the radio needs filler. This is the thing about the Strokes for me. It sounds like background music to a Nicholas Sparks movie it just sounds like something that you would it's just on in the background of some lame-ass movie 
that you're just kind of meandering through because you've been forced to watch it. Absolutely, There's man. There's no moment in your life that you're like, I need to throw on a Strokes record. Never once. If you go back and listen to Room on Fire, every song at the beginning of it has about seven seconds of pure silence, which is a really strange thing on an album. I think that silent gap is there so that you can tell when the Strokes have stopped playing one song and started playing another one. <laughs> it's like the fade out. When you don't know how to end a song, you fade out every single song. How do people know you started on a new song? Well, we usually just stop for a while right. and then we kick it back up again, you know? <laughs> it's weird to me that Room on Fire only sold half as much as is this it because they sound so extremely similar look like get born by that band jet came out the same year as room on fire and it sold twice as many copies mm -hmm. because everyone buying get born by jet in 2003 were the same people buying is this it by the strokes in 2001 it was the second yeah. record yeah. it was the follow-up record for the strokes but jet put it out because the people buying these albums are just people who buy what everyone else is buying and the reason they buy it is because everyone else is buying it see also never mind by nirvana every other album in that category 100 yes, because especially at that time people still went to the record store to buy music yeah so you bought other things that were in the same section oh yeah i mean that's just how it worked yeah especially if there are 10 people all wearing more expensive clothes than you standing in line holding <laughs> copies of the same shit i think what happened on the second album is the strokes went way too hard in the paint with aping the cars and people just couldn't take it anymore yeah they're like all right we let you get away with it once we let you get away with it but this is just a little bit ridiculous you know mm -hmm. making the guitars sound more like keyboards they just put it too close to the cars if you listen to the lead single 1251 that's the cars man right but just like bad unforgivable like sin the shitty cars <laughs> but the strokes were just trying to give people what they wanted which is a horrible thing to make music I'm sorry to interrupt what you're saying but it if you're yeah. making music because it's what people want to hear then fuck you're not making music exactly it, you mind it, what is the difference at that point between in sync or a straight pure pop band in you. It's the same thing. A similar question. What's the difference if you're making music that you think people want to hear and those people are your audience, you're making what you think they want to hear, how is that any fucking different than your label, some suit at your label sitting you down telling you, we've decided how your next album's gonna sound. Yeah. It's gonna sound like this. It's one person telling you or another, why do we even fucking need you? Yeah. You're just doing what we tell you to do or 100%. doing what you think we want you to do. Right. That's not, I don't want that shit. Be selfish as fuck. Have a vision. I, just, I respect things so much more when people are like, the artists that I know that are like, I just have to make art. And if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. I don't care. I, just, I have to do it because this, this is what I have. Julian Casablanca started going online to message boards or somewhere where he could see Strokes fans talking. They were talking about what they thought the lyrics were to new songs that they saw the band performing live. Mm -hmm. There weren't recorded versions of yet. And Jules was just making up mouth sounds when they were doing these new songs live. Like scatting. So he then went online to see what people thought he was saying. Why is he doing that? That's really telling, I think. We could have an experiment where we have like a Patreon thing where Patreon subscribers basically vote on what we say in the episode and we just create an entire episode based on what people think we should say or choose your own adventure yeah kind of like yeah. it's just that that same thing like it's not genuine we're not saying what we genuinely think we'll say positive and negative things about everything and you can just decide on whether right. or not you yeah. want us to agree with you or disagree how about right. that and then we're basically your favorite rock band the strokes so the song under control on room on fire we got to talk about this song right here 
It's possibly their worst song because it sounds like Weezer. It opens with the lyrics, I don't want to waste your time. And then the song goes on to tell you what a waste of your time it is. Too late. I think this guy might be trolling or something. It might be a joke on the fans, kind of like Tool, something like that maybe. Sure, sure. But, but here, here are the rest of the lyrics on the song. It's, I don't want to waste your time. I just want to say, I've got to say, we worked hard, darling. We don't have no control. We're under control. So to me, that reads like Jules is trying to make it seem, at least, like he's under an enormous amount of pressure to do something maybe not the way he wants it to do it. Whether that's pressure from the record label, the fans, music critics, I don't know. But it seems like he's letting you know this song you're hearing is the product of some shit that isn't coming from us. Uh-huh. And that's not cool <laughs> it's not cool at all this sort of gets into the territory of how much of this is real versus how much of it is an image that you want to have or whatever but if he is saying in this song look this is a waste of your time because we wanted to do something cool but we're not in charge here what you're hearing is just the result of the pressures that we feel and it doesn't matter who the pressure's from but the pressure that we feel so what does it mean when people say we like it like, there are still people who like The Strokes. There are still people who like that second album, and we'll talk about how great it is. Even though the band is telling them, this isn't good. Right. Yeah. You remember, There's that Howlin' Wolf album. The cover of it is, this is Howlin' Wolf's new album. He doesn't like it. <laughs> he didn't like the first time he played an electric guitar either, or some shit like that. Uh, I love passive-aggressive cover art. It's my favorite. I feel comfortable going on record saying that Julian Casablancas is as good of a singer as Frank Sinatra. Because this dude cannot sing. <laughs> I was going to say, where are you going with this? He can't sing. If you had any doubt after the first album, you know, maybe it's a weird vocal effect they're putting on every song. No, it's that's not it. This guy grew up in a world where Kurt Cobain was acceptable as a vocalist. Yeah. So now this is yeah. what we have to deal with. The bar progressively getting lowered through the 90s gives birth to shit singing. But it doesn't just end with the singing. It's the whole band. But yes, no doubt. If your example <laughs> growing up saying to yourself, I want to be in a band, and you're listening to Kurt Cobain sing all day long, and you're thinking, this is what singing is, then of course. It was really funny to watch people's illusions about this band just fall away progressively with each album. It got worse and worse. Every record made it seem more and more obvious that they were sucking. There's nothing here. They always sucked. This band was never able to cash the check that the media wrote for them. It just never happened. They never delivered on it, which is why we need to go back to the gold standard. Uh, I love the that they gold standard. I love that they called their third album First Impressions of Earth because everyone hated it and I was like, "Yes, welcome to planet Earth because this is where I've been living the entire time where the Strokes are not a good band." There was one person that I found that said that the second record was okay. Okay. Zero people Zero. So it went from about five or six to saying they loved the first record. Mm -hmm. One said he liked the second record. Zero thought anything after that was even remotely okay. It's a typical story here. On the third album is when everyone else in the band, they want to start writing their own songs. They're looking around at everyone's houses and cars and everything. Jules has all the songwriting credit. Look into how that shit works out. It never works. No, 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 no. Jules caves a little, but it's not great. They're not having a good time. They're not enjoying being around each other. No. And the album sounds like it. They're just going through the motion. So this album was produced by the guy who produced Sugar Ray, 311, and Sublime, just in case anyone hasn't figured out yet why it's the one that sounds the best in a van. You could tell the direction we're, mo- <laughs> we're moving here as a band. You know how when you're mixing, you'll go and take it out into the car yeah, and yeah. listen to, listen to how, how it sounds? Sound? 
probably yeah. where yeah. most people listen to it. We need to listen to this one in a van, guys. This album sounds terrible. The band even talks about it now. Also, this is one of those episodes where we're saying almost nothing that anyone can even possibly disagree with. You're just an asshole if you want to argue about this. Yeah. One of these idiots basically told the press that the Strokes were sick of seeing a band like The Killers catch the wave that The Strokes started and have way more commercial success with it because that is what's happening at this time. When the third album comes out, The Killers are smoking everyone. Yeah. Maybe they should have learned to write a song. They decided to sound like the bands on the radio who actually knew how to become the bands the Strokes were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. We were told the Strokes were going to become this band, and a bunch of other bands became that band. And now the Strokes try. I mean, fuck, Maroon 5 is a much better band than the Strokes. Infinitely better. No comparison. The song Juicebox leaked and their fans hated it. Do you remember that? I don't think so. I was live. I had moved away from New York, so I don't. I think by that point, I had already been disenfranchised. Juicebox to me sounds like they thought enough time had passed since Weezer did Hashpipe for them to be able to get away with doing Hashpipe. <laughs> Basically, be that it's the one dun, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, Steve yeah, Gunn yeah, guitar yeah. riff. I when, we talk about all this all the time. When fans are blindsided with something new and nobody has told them what to think about it yet, they have to rely on their own senses to form an opinion. That's what happens when a song leaks. Mm -hmm. This song leaked to the internet and nobody was telling these people what to think about it yet. Mm -hmm. And what happens is half of them start saying shit like they think that this is a prank. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't even really <laughs> <laughs> Like this isn't actually the Strokes Somebody recorded something else Put the Strokes on it This sounds so bad to me that it's not possible This is the band I think I like Right, right You could have argued Because back then people were stealing music like crazy And sometimes you would uh, uh, download a song Thinking it was a band Because it would be named wrong Yeah This isn't actually the Strokes Someone just named their band the Strokes So I would download it This is when everyone caught on To how fucked the Strokes were As soon as NME <laughs> called them The band that was going to save rock and roll Whoops. Because this is when everyone realized That all this band was going to be For the rest of its existence Was just one long ass love-hate relationship With the fans Well by this point They weren't the only rock band anymore New metal had shifted and started to die off. Bands were coming out like crazy that were much better than The Strokes. But because the conversation about this band was way bigger than the music sure. from before the music even existed, still continuing. So now everything they put out, there right. are people on two different sides who claim to like something The Strokes have done at one point or another, probably. They want to argue over whether or not it's good. Everything this band puts out, no matter what, they're going to make everyone mad and they know it. If it sounds the same, everyone's going to say it sucks because they stopped trying. If it sounds different, everyone's going to say it sucks because it's not as good as the thing they liked. I think it's fair to say you never want your first record to just crush. It's almost always bad. These guys also keep switching camps. They're clearly reading the reviews. They're clearly trying to make music that they think will get good reviews and that will sell albums. So they're not just like staying in one place and waiting for everyone to come to them, mm -hmm. which would be the smart thing to do in this situation. Right. Dig your heels in. We sound like this. Go fuck yourselves. Whoever wants to stay here with us, you stay. Everyone else can get the fuck out. We don't care. Yeah. That's how you take the reins on something like this. You can't keep scrambling around and trying to change every time. It's like when you go to the mall with someone and one of you gets lost. They tell you to just sit in one spot, right? <laughs> sit down and wait for them to walk by. They'll find you. The Strokes remind me of the Owen Wilson character in Royal Tenenbaums. Do you remember that character? I do. Where he's so desperate for the approval of the Tenenbaum family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we're supposed to be talking about this band. If you listen to a song like You Only Live Once, you can 
tell. These guys don't know how to write a chorus. That's the difference between them and a band like the Cars. A good band like the Cars, they know how to write a chorus. The Strokes always fumble the ball. They build up to a chorus and then they just let it go. Mm -hmm. they, they don't hang on to the melody. They don't give you a hook. The Cars were so good that they wrote songs that I didn't even realize were the Cars until I would look to see, oh, who, who who's... <laughs> Something happened at the turn of the century where everyone forgot how to write choruses. And I don't know what it was. So many bands do this now. They, they have verses. They really do have verses. And when it comes time for the chorus, this, everything falls to shit. Even Radiohead is doing this. And Radiohead is supposed to be the band that shits melodies out of nowhere, you know? I think they just prioritize the wrong thing in the studio. They want to reject what people yeah, love. Yeah, They love the chorus, the hook. Well, fuck that. We're not writing a good chorus. It's just going to be verse, 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 bridge, verse. In between First Impressions of Earth and Angles is when a lot of these guys start doing their own solo shit. We definitely don't have time Oof. to get into all that. It's not good. It's just all bad. <laughs> Suffice to say, it is not good. It's never uh, good. And it wouldn't be because, you know, the guru who's thanked in their first album, that guy who's thanked is the guru. Is this it in the liner notes? Uh -huh. They think they're guru. There's a picture of this guy. That guy. <laughs> of course is, they have a guru. It's their guitar teacher. <laughs> right. He was in the studio in case any of them were like, wait, how do I play this again? <laughs> and this guy, so yeah, no, like their solo careers aren't going to be good because they have to go learn how to be in a band. How do I play this power chord again? I did want to talk about one solo thing. I sent you a link to it right before we recorded this. Legit. Goofy as hell. This is the only solo thing we're going to talk about. Julian Casablancas and The Voids. The song is called Human Sadness. What did you think about that, Mark? I sent you the official music video. You sent it to me. I, I think it's one of those things. If you, if you had a 12-year-old and that was what they made, you would go, I am very proud of you. You would be stoked that your kid made something. When an adult makes it, you're like, are you 10? I think he uses footage of a, the atomic bomb testing. Everything. It's just dumb it's mashup of things that don't war, make sense. And just human and sadness. And it sounds depressing as fuck. And they look ridiculous. The members of this band look like the actors who played Adam Sandler's yes. band in The Wedding Perfect. Singer now. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Even Julian they himself. Grew up and now they're in this band. Even Julian looks like that. He's got some weird fucking mullet thing. He's got the same haircut he had in the strokes. Add a mullet on the back. Yeah. That's what his hair looks like now. They're all dressed horribly. They're dressed like they saw Mad just Max. So dumb, Just dude. a lot of weird PVC. The Warriors like, or something. Like white zombie, nine inch nails, industrial kind of looking shit. Yeah. But with colors instead of just black. Dumb sunglasses on. I feel like they probably have dirt thrown on them. Like pink like dirt. Purposefully. You, you, have yes. you seen color runs? Yes. My interpretation of it was summed up. If, if I told you that it was a parody, like somebody was making a joke to parody all of hipster. Art school art, kids. Exactly. That's exactly exactly what it looks like. It looks like a kid that went to Savannah School of Art, SCAD, and made a music video for their first, their freshman year for their friend's band. That's what it looks like. The song. That's what it sounds like. The recording of the song, the studio recording of the song is 11 minutes long. Okay. The video is 13 for, minutes. For some reason, the music video needed an extra two minutes. And I can't say that I've sat down and watched it from front to back in those consecutive 13 minutes. So I'm not sure why it has the extra two minutes. It's probably just some intro thing. But I can tell you that I happen to be in attendance at one of the several, quote, global premieres of this <laughs> music video. <laughs> And it was miserable, man. Global premiere. And how many people were like stoked to watch it and then were like, what the fuck was well, that? Well, in the room that I was in, this is the first time any of these people had seen this, of course, there were about only 20 people. Uh, I don't want to get too specific on how this happened or and why I was there and what it was. But of those 20 people who were watching this video, I would say zero of them were enjoying themselves. 
And if anyone doesn't know why, just go listen to this. I don't know how to accurately describe it. It's mixed poorly. It does not sound like Dude, a professional no, it recording. It sounds like he recorded his vocals in a flip phone. Yeah, it does. And or, no, no, you know that game that kids play where they put like a can and a string in yes. between them and they like yeah. talk? That's what it sounds like. Yeah. They recorded with a microphone. Like a contact on mic line. on the string. On the string, yeah. yeah. Like not even exaggerating. I thought it was a joke. And apply that to the way every individual instrument is recorded. The guitar tone is horrible. Yeah. The melodies are kind of on purpose not there, I think. Like I think he's trying to write anti-melodies in a way, especially if he's writing the guitar parts for everyone, as I assume. This is probably, well, I'm going to be in charge of everything again. I don't know that. Maybe it's not. But I can tell you it was hilarious standing in a room and watch people watch this. It was almost like uh, watching people see a David Lynch thing for the first time, yeah. except no artistic merit to it whatsoever. Right. Angles, I think, is the album where Jules figured out if he was gonna get another Strokes album out, get closer to fucking fulfilling the terms of this five album deal he signed with RCA, he was gonna have to give everyone writing credits. He's right. gonna have to let everyone put in on the songs and say that they had parts in writing them so they can get paid more money too, you know? And the problem is, is he can't work like that. He pretty much just lets everyone do whatever they want to do. The band goes into the studio. There, there are a bunch of articles about this. Mm -hmm. The band goes, he, they all go into the studio together and write a bunch of shit. But when it comes time for recording, the other guys in the band will talk about how Jules wasn't there when he was recording their parts. And he just wanted to correspond over email. <laughs> That's awesome. Email album. Email only, boys. Email me. Oh, we're making an album? Dude, Can you email me about that? Think about how rude that is. Don't call me. Say that to your girlfriend or boyfriend or your significant other. Let me know how that goes. Right. These are your family members, basically. For sure, yes. They're, they're, you know what I mean? Like, they're your business partners, and you're like, hey, dude, I don't have time to talk right now. Can you email me that? As far as the music on this album, it sounds like the dudes in this band were listening to a lot of very bad music. I can tell you exactly the algebra formula that they were coming up with. Like the first song is 311 meets the Mars Volta. Third song is that song Cuts You Up by Peter Murphy meets Green Day meets Guided by Voices. Jesus. These mashups sound like terrible ideas, right? They are. So bad. Fourth song is Depeche Mode meets whichever one of Steve Albini's bands you're going to think I'm most cool for referencing. <laughs> I don't know. Pick one. It's just terrible. Now I have Cut You Up stuck in my head, damn it. All right. Last album is Come Down Machine, and I'm going to guess that the only reason they made this was to satisfy that five album deal. They put the label's logo on the front of the album. That used to be how albums looked, but that's not how <laughs> albums have looked for a very, very long time. It's not a motif. The band didn't give a fuck about promoting this album. They did no TV, no interviews. The bass player talked to one radio station one time. He's the quiet one. He's the dude whose name I couldn't even fucking remember. He is the only promo that this album had. Not that it really fucking matters. There was only one single released from this album. Yeah, it's actually funny if you want a fun time, read about the album. You could have an entire episode. It's all, a shit all show. All you do is talk about this goofy ass record and all the dumb shit that happened. It's a complete shit show. This is a good place to talk about. This is something that some people are going to say to us is if the strokes suck, how come they still have a career? They do not have a career. Yeah, that shit's long gone. Anyone who thinks this band has a career doesn't know shit about yeah. the music industry. It's long gone, but people still want to pretend like the Strokes are going to come back and they're going to play arenas. And I'm like, God, that's great. They never had a career in the first place, man. A record. They have a con job of one album yeah. and they had a five album deal with their label. And then someone's going to oh. say, well, wouldn't their label have dropped them no. if they weren't selling? First of all, I don't know the deal. 
I haven't seen the deal. They also put out that record at a time when people still bought music. There's also, I don't know when 360 deals came into play in relationship no, to this know. band. Yeah. So I don't know where the label may have been participating in this band's revenue streams sure. outside of record sales sure. to make the relationship worth maintaining. You know what I sure. mean? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know that. But I will say, as far as weak arguments for why a band doesn't suck go... Eh, their new releases must be breaking even for the label is pretty fucking weak. <laughs> That's terrible. There also is a label obligation to release your music, even if they think it sucks. Even if these albums aren't breaking even, even if the label's not breaking even on these releases, they could have been maintaining the relationship just in case these assholes ever got it together enough, hired a new publicist yeah. smart enough to finally give these idiots their comeback album, yeah. or at least the hype surrounding it to sell another comeback album. Yeah. They could roll the dice and do it again. Well, the, label the label's were, thinking they, that every time because this was the band. This yeah, was the band. It would have been making a ton of money for a lot of years off that record. And you're right. If there's an off chance that they write another hit, it could happen. Bingo, cash cow all over again. Did you see the uh, interview that Julian Casablancas did with Vulture last year? No, you even mentioned it. I didn't it's the, uh, oh man, I can't believe you didn't read it. It's, I, don't, uh, I don't know how he didn't see it. Well, it's that David Marchese guy who is getting all the crazy interviews out of everyone uh -huh. now. You know what I mean? Uh, I think he did that Quincy Jones interview that everyone was flipping out over. Milking people. He's just really good at getting people to say outlandish Talk. shit. Yeah. Uh, so in this interview with Jules, Jules says that Jimi Hendrix wasn't popular when he was alive. The interviewer brings up that Hendrix headlined Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> A pretty big festival. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And that Electric Ladyland went number one when it came out. <laughs> Jules also criticizes Ed Sheeran. I did see that part. I think he says Ed Sheeran is a product of cultural brainwashing. Yeah. Which my thing is, okay, Jules, you seem to know a lot about this cultural brainwashing <laughs> shit. Why don't you say more about that? Sure. Why don't you keep talking about cultural brainwashing? Would you care to elaborate on how cultural brainwashing might happen, for instance? <laughs> yeah. Like, do, do you have any insider information on how, how that works? Homeboy should also probably not run his mouth about social politics or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Because I'm not saying I know what I'm talking about, but I know someone saying the internet has led to people being less informed is an idiot. Dude. <laughs> Just because you get your news from memes <laughs> doesn't mean everyone does. People are not becoming less informed. What's happening is the people who have always cared about being informed are becoming more informed about right. how many people there are who don't, don't give a <laughs> shit about being informed. Right. You're just finding out how many dumbasses there are. The line is just more visible. Right? Yeah, it's always been there. But now we know. Now we can see it. Later in the interview, he talks about how people are more informed now than they have been in the past. So I guess Thanks, he, Julian. he might not have a short-term memory or something. <laughs> I don't know. He had just eaten an entire weed brownie. Maybe he has hypoglycemia. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. The best part of the interview, I thought, was when Jules asked David Marchese if David thinks he has good taste in music. David, do you think you have good taste in music? And David is all, well, I like Prague, so I don't know if I would say good, but you know, like I like the music that I like, but everyone else does not, you know? So what's good taste? What is good taste? Last night, she said, if your favorite band is The Strokes, your favorite band sucks. You're welcome for listening to your favorite band sucks. Just take it or leave it. 
But before you do, make sure to share this episode on your social media, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it, go to our website, buy some merchandise. Instead of giving it to all these dumbass bands, give us your fucking money. The world will be a little bit cooler. Promise. So the ninth issue of Fader Magazine is the Strokes cover story that they knew was going to be run on the cover as soon as they saw a picture of the band. I couldn't remember it in the episode, but there you go. Fader Magazine. Rest in peace, print journalism. Uh, So sometimes weird things happen in the interim between us recording an episode and that episode being released. For instance, sometimes the band makes an unexpected comeback before the episode comes out. As of me recording this outro, I believe the Strokes have released a new song. There's no way that it contributes anything new or unexpected to their catalog. Everything that we've already said about this band I'm positive will apply to anything this band ever goes on to do. Another weird thing that happened is Moby got a little shout out in this episode, which was recorded way before his most recent dumbass thing with Natalie Portman. Look, Moby's always been a shit show. There's no possibility of us ever being able to keep up with all the dumbass stuff he's done. I'm sure we'll try in an episode on him someday. But yeah, there's your explanation for why Moby got referenced without the Natalie Portman thing being referenced. It hadn't happened yet. And, and I don't know the deal. You know, maybe everyone under the age of 30 who makes enough money from music to be able to afford living in New York City is a total piece of shit. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Who even knows? Do you know? No one knows. Yeah, no one knows. No one knows. Like that uh, that one-hit wonder band. You remember uh, Queens of the Stone Age? Yeah. Oh, you don't remember? Don't worry. We'll remind you. The podcast.